um, of course, my parents were like, no, 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 you <laughs> get a proper job and whatever. But I just had to, I had a conversation with a friend back then and he just told me pretty much to just listen to my heart and not be so logical about it and fear-driven because I brought all these arguments against, yeah, but it's going well now. What if, you know, it doesn't go well in a year? And then I kind of neglected um, looking for jobs. So it was just like very security oriented and he was like no man just listen to your heart you're passionate about music you, you got to give this a try welcome back to another episode of tapatia loading as you'll hear during this conversation it's been a while since i caught up with my friend and ex collaborator of sorts robert koch and it was an enormous pleasure to finally get to have the chance to do that after seven years as most of our conversations here it kind of speaks for itself i just want to take a minute out there to thank robert again for coming on i hope you enjoy the uninterrupted show before that though i do want to point you towards this free gift which i still offer on my coaching website holisticpianoacademy.com it's a free practice log which i've used over the years for both my music practice my yoga practice my workout practices it's a very simple system that just works without necessarily getting too granular about your schedule but also managing to keep the kind of focus you need it speaks for itself just go try it out really truly there's there's no catch to it just go to holisticpianoacademy.com wait for the pop-up download all right without much further ado robert koch hello fellow beings welcome Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. How you been? It's been so long, right? I mean, when was that? 2013? 2013, <laughs> man. Way too long. I did not intend it to be this long. I yeah, mean. I know. It's crazy. But it was quite a pivotal moment, I gotta say, because when we linked up in... Uh, where was it? Um, Bangalore or Chennai? The city that we, Chennai, Chennai, that's where yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, so that was just before I moved to Los Angeles, actually. Ah, exactly. So, you know, so that was that transitional thing. I went to India and then I went back to Berlin after India. And then shortly after that, I flew to LA and pretty much just moved there. I remember. So the whole India experience was, was very crazy for me and new. And it was also... A transitional phase between Berlin and LA so that, that was cool very interesting that we connect now seven years later <laughs> I know right at a phase where everyone's going through transitions at some level yep, or the other yeah very true how has the pandemic been treating you Pandemic, I gotta say, I, I lucked out because like many artists, I was forced to cancel my tours, which was not the lucky part. <laughs> but oh um, I found myself in the studio unable to tour. I just had released a record. We actually lined up some cool shows with a Philharmonic Orchestra, um, which would have been a very cool tour um, to do in Philharmonic venues. Oh, None of this happened. It all fell flat on its face. I was very oh. disappointed. So I was in my studio and was like, what the hell am I going to do? But then I was lucky because a music supervisor that I worked with previously um, called me up and he was like, do you want to work on this TV show that we're working on? And I was like, oh my God, this is <laughs> exactly what I need to be doing right now. Just give me something that I can work on that can just keep me afloat financially too. And so that's that's how I say I was lucky because the, the this thing came right at the at the moment where I needed it. Awesome, man. I'm super happy for yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. I want to respect your time. I know you're a very busy man. I know um, um, we want to keep this as um, focused as possible to get your story across to my listeners in a manner that's digestible. Um, so I want to totally. uh, kind of trace back um, your musical journey back to Kreuzberg before Kreuzberg was, uh, became what it is today globally. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe even earlier to your childhood in Castle, depending on what you prefer to be more relevant. I'm totally uh, easy with whatever you choose to. You, you guide this whole thing, and I just follow along. <laughs> oh, don't be so sure I got this. I'm I'm just I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a musician, just hanging with my friends, and you know. 
cool, cool. We can just keep it conversational. Absolutely. For my listeners, I do want to let them know how I met you because yeah. that, that, that for me was a very, very interesting and pivotal point for my musical journey as well. Right. We toured India together uh, for the Goethe Institute, uh, wherein we did a like a week long workshop at a conservatory. That's right. Yeah. And then played at this uh, very diverse festival, which we both kind of, you know, struggled to find our space in. Yeah, it was very eclectic. <laughs> I know, right? We were like, wow, exactly where do we stand here? Uh-huh. And um, I also remember for me too, it was also a time of a deep transition because I, I was kind of figuring out where exactly even I want to go with my music. I just finished music mm-hmm. college and we had a lot of academic baggage I was carrying with, you know, you know how right. that is. Like you mentioned, right after you moved on to Los Angeles, and I kind of saw your career explode on the international expanse as well. I mean, you were always the, what we call the Geheimtipp in Germany. I remember <laughs> at, attending your concert uh, uh, at, a, um, at a place in Mannheim. And I remember. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's I remember crazy, I, was, I was there with a friend who's like a completely different genre. She was a musician herself. And she was like, wow, this guy, she, this guy is like blowing me away. And. <laughs> and, That's cool. I don't even remember that. Part. I remember this is uh, the Adri Foyle. Okay, this yeah, is uh, very, and it's also very rare for um, at least in my experience um, for uh, for a music producer to um, blow people away with the live performances the way you did. At least for me, it was a very very unique experience. Um, I'd like to get into that uh, actually. Your attitude towards live um, concerts. Yeah, know. let's start with this. Where? What's your earliest memory of music, man? Oldest memory of music. That must have been um, in the car um, with my mom picking me up from school or whatever and her playing um, Face Value by Phil Collins on tape in the car. I, I love Phil Collins, though. <laughs> me too. High five. I love him so much. <laughs> and that epic drum fill from In the Air Tonight. Fuck it. I was like, this was pre-me understanding music, but I was always like, wow, where does this come from, you know? It's just like this synth pad, and it's all like gloomy, and then there's this thunderous fill, which I didn't quite compute uh, at the time. (laughs) But it did impress me a lot. Yeah, I I love Phil Collins. I remember one of my mentors, earliest mentors, used to say, like from that whole Genesis lineup, there were so many musicians. Peter Gabriel, for example, is has always been celebrated for one of the most innovative musicians in the world of right. pop and so on, which is obviously needless to say, uh, absolutely true. But I remember my teacher used to say, and he was a drummer himself, he said, you know what, uh-huh. the f- Phil Collins, when he sings a song, you know, maybe it's not all, you know, experimental in, you know, the way a music critic would define it. But when mm-hmm. Phil Collins plays a song, it will touch you. Yeah, that's true. I mean, hands down, I, I don't. I'm not even ashamed to say that I like Phil Collins no, because it's obviously least. something that you know a lot of people associate with like cheesy '80s radio music. Yeah. But he wrote some good songs, and I mean, he he knew the craft, and he knew exactly how to connect emotionally. So, exactly. Yeah, both as a drummer and as a songwriter slash performer, I think he he was a great is a great man. He's still alive, of course. So, yeah, that's something that I don't even call a guilty pleasure. I'm just like hands down, Phil Collins. <laughs> right there cool. with you, man. Hard yeah. related. I completely agree. I've always been, I cool. found this this classification of his music being cheesy a little unfair. I'm, I'm not, uh, yeah. I mean, to each their own, and needless to say, but yeah, I'm totally down with you. Man, I'm, I'm stoked to have a fellow fan of Phil Collins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Where did you go take it from there? So, yeah, my mom was pretty much my exposure to music because my dad was never really into music. It was always something that happened in the background on the radio or whatever. He didn't really connect with music. And to this day, he's like struggling to understand what it is that I do exactly, you know, because I think he doesn't have a relationship to music so much. So he can't quite, he, you know, he's, he's happy for me that I'm successful at whatever that is that I'm doing, but I don't think he can understand it as much as my mom does, who's more passionate about music. Mm-hmm. But her music taste is very much, um, you know, like Motown, Stevie Wonder. I mean, she did like Phil Collins, but mainly it was like this kind of soul R&B kind of stuff, which I was exposed to as a kid because I was around the house and she would play these records a lot. 
Um, and th- that was cool with me because because I liked it. You know, I still like Temptations and all that. Isaac Hayes. <clears throat> but when my teenage years kicked in, I, I needed to sort of find my own identity around that, not just listen to the music my mom listened to or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I got into pretty extreme guitar music, which my mom hated. <laughs> and I, I learned the drums and I was playing in, in metal bands. I was a drummer in a death metal band age 15. Wait, so what? Was you, were, like, you were drumming in a death metal band? I was, yeah. I was like uh, double bass, everything, you know, blast Damn. beats. <laughs> Badass. There, there was, yeah, I mean... My education has been very eclectic too. So <clears throat> I moved awesome. on from from metal because what drew me in was the technicality too. You know, like it's very difficult and very high speeds uh, to play this kind of stuff. But then I realized, oh, there's also jazz and jazz on the drums also is really um, demanding and, and, and technical and expressive, you know. So I got into jazz. Not that I was like a great jazz drummer, but... I listened to John Coltrane and, and uh, all these these records uh, that that a friend turned me on to, and wow. that just opened up a whole new horizon. Because first it was like Metallica and Slayer and all that, and then there was like, you know, John Coltrane, Moondog, you name it. You know, even classical stuff, Steve Reich. So I just discovered so much music. This was around when I was like seventeen. Mm-hmm. That I got really into crate digging, meaning to say going to record stores and digging for obscure, <laughs> whatever, crowd rock or jazz records. And then mm-hmm. just really got into just like knowing a lot, you know, like music trivia, like where does this come from? Who sampled this? So just got really interested in all that. And, and this brought me into producing because from crate digging and like sampling and hip hop, I got into making beats. And from beat making, the next step was just producing my own music which was not just me being a drummer in a band, you know. Wow, that is so reassuring and so heartwarming to hear, man. Um, that kind of, an, you obviously felt some common thread between all these apparently different genres. Yes, uh, I think the, the common thread was always um, originality and like a interesting sonical expression. Because mm-hmm. even in metal, you know, it's like it's a very intense kind of sound. Um, and that, just like the sonics of it, always um, fascinated me. And then the same is true for, for, for any other kind of genre, you know, where there's just a genuine emotional expression behind it. It could be anything. It could be something really aggressive like it is in metal mm-hmm. or something really soft and heartfelt like in other, other genres. So I think I just gravitate towards something that just feels real to me and is presented in a way that's challenging my taste buds in a way that I haven't heard this before, you know, just like anything that's new and like, wow, what is this? That always um, drew my attention. Stimulation. Yep, in a way. Beautiful. Stimulation of uh, also, yeah, like the other, the unknown. I guess the unknown is always something that fascinated me. And whenever I discovered a new musical universe, so to speak, I was really like, wow, what else is in there? You know, just like when I touch the tip of uh, jazz or whatever. It's like I was the guy who read all the liner notes. Who's the pianist on this John Coltrane record? Oh, McCoy Tyner digging for his stuff. Oh, who's that drummer on there? You know, oh, he has a record out. So it's just like going down the rabbit hole and just like learning to connect all the dots, which I always found really interesting. That is so awesome, man. In a world where producers and musicians generally are becoming increasingly hyper-focused on their lane, so to speak. Uh-huh. Do you think that's an approach towards music that's dying out? That diverse, you know, exploration in the beginning without necessarily trying to get anywhere? I'm not sure, man. I mean, I think we live in a post-genre kind of world because everything, when, when I grew up, things were way more segregated and like... Um, really? Boxed. Yeah, because, you know, even like when I was a teenager, you were either a punk or you were into metal or you were... Like into hip hop or whatever, and these things they didn't quite mingle or interconnect. Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays it's a little more fluid. You know, there's so many genres that are like hybrids of other genres and cross references. Um, the only thing that I see nowadays, everything seems to be pop. You know, like no matter how weird it is, it's sort of assimilated by the mainstream so quickly. Mm. Which which wasn't so much the case before. I think subcultures 
don't really exist anymore. I mean, all these genres still exist, of course, but they have gone from being like a, you know, like a special thing that only a few people know about to something that, yeah, of course I know about that, you know? It's just like, I think the internet just made subcultures um, mainstream everywhere. What kind of an impact do you think that has on music? The erasure, so to speak, of the underground? Yeah, I think like a devaluation in a way, because, I mean, that's also, that ties in with like the whole thing with, with Spotify and streaming and all that, mm-hmm. how music is consumed nowadays. A lot of like kids just listen to music on their phones or they discover music on TikTok. And it's it's always like related to something else. Like let's say there's a dance competition on TikTok and there's a cool song around it. So they discover the song. It could even be an older song. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not so much about the artist that they don't really, I'm not saying they don't care, but the, what draws them in is not so much the actual song. It's more, the song is being used for something, you know, it's being used for an advert, or it's being used um, in like a TikTok gaming or dance competition or who knows what, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say that devalues music necessarily because it just puts it in another context, mm-hmm. but it I doesn't agree. put music first anymore. You know, it's not just the song where you go like, oh my God, what is that? You know, yeah. who is that? Who else? You know, where does this come from? What is this whole scene that this artist emerges from that might still exist that people care but i feel like people care a little less than they used to Mm -hmm. that's just my observation they take it for granted you know that's what that's what i mean it's just something that's there they just turn on spotify and yeah the playlist is in the background and then the rest is a little less important (laughs) yeah i hear you that's very well said actually is this a good time to um Reflect upon the earlier days in Berlin. Sure. Because it sounds like that would have been a good contrast to the situation you just described. It was, you know, but also Berlin, when I moved there in in 99, was a different place than it is today, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, There was more of this DIY uh, subculture, you know, which Berlin still stands for, but now it's almost like... um, the the poster of that you know you go mm. to a, to a club club or a bar and they make it looks look like it's improvised yeah. only because that's you know what i mean it's, it's more like the look so it's like the uh, the bar 25 knockoff or whatever yep. um when when back in the day these things were improvised because they were and they were just like I don't know, like an after hour would just go as long as it went, you know. And nowadays, the after hours, they're already planned with like the DJs up, up until like two in the afternoon or whatever. Back in the day, it was more spontaneous, you know. Maybe it was over at five, maybe it went on till who knows when. <laughs> it was a little less uh, institutionalized, maybe. So it's like a Berlin package now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's that comes with the expectation too, because a lot of people move to Berlin or visit Berlin with that kind of image in mind. Mm-hmm. So the city kind of wants to live up to that image and it becomes a self-fulfilling fulfilling prophecy that, you know, you just get what you came to find. Yeah. But you're not surprised anymore because you're you're just pretty much pleased by whatever the expectation that needed to be pleased is, sure. you know, and then, then that just happens. So I don't see so much innovation in that, you know, when people just come with a, certain expectation and they just want to tick that box yeah i did that whole berkheim thing and i did the after hour here and you know that's so berlin whatever yeah this feels uh, a little contrived nowadays yeah yeah uh, yeah i was about to say uh, you ask if the word predictable would be too harsh a description but yeah you say contrived i, I unfortunately mm. I kind of agree with you uh, even though i in there didn't live in berlin i've always had a relationship with the city yeah please tell us more what were your earliest impressions of berlin huh? tell us more about your relationship how it's been these over the years i mean it was it was a good relationship because um i started making music out there well i didn't start in berlin but it started paying my rent in berlin that's when nice. i started playing shows i was um in this band jacuzzi with um sasha Pereira, who now goes under Pereira elsewhere yeah so we had we had this yeah you you remember so yeah. we had this band together and it was cool we played like small like locations like Eimer which doesn't exist anymore it's a shoe shop now yeah. um, so it was it was a very fun and um, you produced the band right 
yeah, yeah, I was the producer yeah. and I played live. I played the keys live, and it was it was a fun time. You know, we played a lot around Europe also. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was interesting because for the first time I could see music as a profession. You know, because before it was always a passion, mm-hmm. and it continued being a passion. But now it also started paying my bills, and that was also another pivotal moment because I remember I, I studied. Uh, marketing and uh, communication science Um, and I finished my studies and then I needed to decide whether I just go and work in the field that I studied for Mm -hmm. or if I continue making music full-time of course my parents were like no 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 you (laughs) get a proper job and whatever but I just had to I had a conversation with a friend back then and he just told me pretty much to just listen to my heart and not be so logical about it and fear-driven because I brought all these arguments against, yeah, but it's going well now. What if, you know, it doesn't go well in a year? And then I kind of neglected um, looking for jobs. So it was just like very security-orientated. And he was like, no, man, just listen to your heart. You're passionate about music. You, you got to give this a try. And I'm so glad I I did, you know, because I think a lot of people don't listen to that. I want more friends like that. Yeah, you, you need these friends. And I'm very yeah. grateful. Um, shout outs to Moritz, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> you know who you are. Thank you, um, Moritz. You know, I mean, these things yeah. are important, you know, because Absolutely. as an artist and a creative person, we tend to get insecure about what we do. Yes. And especially at the, at the verge of a career, which is just about to begin and... You don't know if this is going to go anywhere, but you never know. You know, even nowadays, I don't know if this is going going well or if <laughs> it could go better or whatever. Absolutely. All I'm saying is there's there's always doubts. You know, whatever level you're at, you always question whether you know you're, you're doing the best you can or if this is what you should be doing. But you just learn to listen to the doubts a little less and just trust your intuition more. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I learned over the years. Because those doubts, they always creep up and they're always going to be there. But yeah, I guess the, the, the most, what's the word I'm looking for? The most um, reliable thing is your gut feeling, you know. That is very, very humbling and very inspiring to hear from a musician and artist from your strategy. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, thank you. Well, well I'm, I'm glad to, um, to hear that also because um, it's, it's, it's never easy, you know, because it's such a fine and small voice, if you will, mm. your intuition. Yeah. And it's so um, so much fainter than your logical mind, which always has like very good arguments for or against something. Mm-hmm. Um, but to kind of like phase all of that out and just tune into that inner knowing where you like you, you have the answer inside of you already. You just got to quiet the mind enough to hear it, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's actually something that meditation helped me with. Um, and that's something I tapped into fast forward to Los Angeles now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was way more anxious in Berlin and I'm not saying that's because of the city necessarily but that's just how it was for me and also the people I was around um, I think moving to Los Angeles grounded me a lot more yes I've heard um, it tends to do that to a lot of people maybe yeah yeah. I, California I think generally <clears throat> that's, that's what I think I, I'm not going to say it's LA necessarily as a city because that's also very confusing and expensive and demanding in many ways but California as a place um, mm. the nature of it and maybe also the culture you know the whole hippie movement in the 70s and I don't know what there's something grounding and healing about it just being there and around certain people that just you know makes you think uh a little differently about stuff. And I certainly reconsidered a lot of things um, and just tackled some of my insecurities and from a different perspective. So it was, it was a healing experience moving over there. Beautiful. Would you, uh, you want to share a little more about these experiences? Mm, sure. I mean, mainly um, it was opening up because um, also what needs to be said when I moved to LA, mm-hmm. I had a, relationship breakup with a then girlfriend who we were we were together for like five years she broke up with me i also um stopped working with my management at the time so it was a moment where a lot of bridges were burning and i didn't feel like anything holds me back in berlin which helped me to also leave the city because i felt tired of berlin already after 10 years Mm -hmm. but i sort of hung out a little longer i always 
give the comparison of a lukewarm bath. You know, you're taking a bath and it's not quite warm anymore, but it's still comfortable enough to still hang out in it. Fantastic analogy. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like a comfort zone, but not really inspiring anymore. You know, it's just like, yeah. So I needed that kick in the butt by um, life, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, I I acted on it, you know. I, I I took the opportunity and be like, nothing ties me down to to Berlin anymore. I'm just I'm, I'm out of here. I'm gonna move somewhere where I don't know anyone, and where just again my gut feeling tells me I should go and and, and find out what what intrigues me about it, you know. So I did, and I think life rewards you when you kind of take these leaps of faith sometimes, you know. And then you just meet the right people. It felt very fluid and very un. Um, yeah, it just felt felt very natural, you know. I just ran into the right people that introduced me to the other right people, um, both in music but also spiritually. Um, I, I ended up in a meditation retreat with a guru from the Himalayas, wow. which was my first meditation retreat uh, I've ever done. So it was a big introduction to meditation for me. Um, and, and these kind of things, they all came to me sort of naturally. I guess I was looking for them subconsciously but sometimes you just gotta open up for opportunities to come your way you know i remember you uh, delving into uh, a spiritual life or at least uh, meditation practices while you were in india during that tour that mm-hmm. i remember it was written about you absolutely and, and that's, that's interesting that you say that because monica dogra remember her yeah she was one of the singers that performed at the festival in rajasthan magnetic fields yeah yeah um, she put me in touch with a guy called Krishna out in LA, who actually brought me to that um, monk, the, the Himalayan monk that I ended up having my first meditation experience with, nice. or like the more profound meditation, which was like a full-on three-day retreat of only meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was through her. So like you could say that my travels to India kind of kicked off my interest there, and then she she kind of... Um, guided me in the right direction and connected me with someone in LA. LA. So, yeah, it's mm. interesting how these things work sometimes. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, India and California have had a relationship with each other for generations now. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you're aware of this. Um, yeah, yeah, I am, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, so, how was what was that like? Was that, um, I mean, meditation is, it's, it's a very universal thing. It's not necessarily, uh, at least I've always thought it's not really... People usually associated with the East, and maybe it has been presented in a certain manner, which might uh, kind of stand tested many to that. But it's a very, uh, it's a very um, needless to say. I mean, uh, universal, uh, universally applicable template or uh, practice. Mm, Was that how? How were your experiences with that? I know it's like almost like a oxymoron to try and describe that feeling because the entire idea is to kind of transcend the realm of words. Yeah, I mean, really, what it is for me, it's it's just like being a little more grounded in my body and less up there in my thoughts and mm-hmm. uh, getting carried away with thoughts and emotions and identifying with them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just like seeing the emotions and the thoughts, but not you know identifying with them as much. So you can just like let them pass easier and um, you also feel there's this entity that you are that connects you to everything else you know which is a very reassuring and grounding feeling that makes everything that happens in your life a little less significant i'm not saying that it's insignificant of course we we live worldly lives and um, they 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 matter but at the same time they don't you know this whole you, you said oxymoron in a way this whole almost contradiction of also in yoga you know like one of my teachers used to say the pose is everything and the pose is nothing and i was like what does that mean i don't understand you know that's so well said who's this teacher this guy called billy he used to work at um earth yoga doesn't exist anymore unfortunately they closed down in silver lake yeah but he was a very cool guy and um these kind of things, just like letting my mind chew on that thing for a mm. while, the mm. pose is nothing and the pose is everything. That's almost like a koan in um, Zen um, Buddhism, you know, where they give you these weird riddles for your yeah. mind. That, like what's the, the, the sound of one hand clapping and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's actually really cool because you contemplate these things. You don't really solve them with your mind, but eventually you just like sort of get it almost like non-intellectually. Yeah. And um, that's what meditation is to me. It's just not something that 
happens overnight. It's just something that you keep visiting and revisiting and it, it teaches you something over time and it's subtle, you know, it's very subtle, but it's profound. So that space, you um, it facilitates your entrance into. Is it something uh, you remember um, getting a taste for through music before you actually discovered meditation as a practice? I've always been curious about that aspect to musicians who also have a spiritual life. What do you mean? Like how it affected my music or? No, actually in the other way around, like in my case, just to share some of my personal experiences. Sure, please go ahead. In a way, uh, when I, my, I don't really remember when I started meditating. It's kind of, the, the, you know, the practices is something I grew up with um, as a result of my, uh, my heritage. But I do remember that, you know, that space of uh, safety or transcendence or just you know, beyond the neurotic mind or the rational mind where you, yeah. you're observing yourself in that human form. It is a space music has always also kind of, you know, hinted at all my life. Mm, interesting. Except music is always just, just a different modality to use to, you know, entrance, a different modality entrance into the same space. So it's like the same arena you're entering but with different gates mm -hmm. no i totally relate to what you're saying and i actually agree because the closest i've come to um experiencing these transcending or like flow state kind of moments are music of course you know Sweet. but it's the kind of moment where you you just like don't realize time anymore you know when you're working on music exactly. and it's just like you're improvising or whatever Bingo. like literally somewhere else you're like that you could call transcending you know you're like time and space sort of disappear and you're just like wow how did four hours just pass and i was just in this <laughs> in this vortex of Bingo. ideas and whatever that was Bingo. yeah that's exactly what i was trying to but you also said it very well because it's a different modality it's not because in meditation i feel um you kind of phase out a lot of the stuff you know you just like sit there and it's more quiet and it's more introvert mm. um with music it's more expressionist uh expressionistic i don't know maybe there's meditations that give you that but for, i can just share about my meditations Please. which are more in the, in the best case they're more grounding and centering and quieting mm -hmm. so it's like quieting the mind and just breathing and all that you know whereas music can be very invigorating and crazy and you know what i mean it's Absolutely. just like a wormhole that takes you to a different dimension but it's it's very active like mm. but it's not this kind of busy brain kind of active not when you're lying in bed you can't sleep and you have like this you know chatter mind chatter going on it's different you know your, your body is maybe still relaxed but it's also invigorated it's it's a different modality you said it very well i can only repeat what you said <laughs> yeah it was only an extension of what you were hinting at anyway mm -hmm. also another thing i can't help but wonder is part of the collateral damage of being a professional musician is it comes with baggage so I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll come close to getting into a somewhat meditative state uh, through music. And then my, you know, my little self will start saying, yeah, man, but, you know, what, what, what do you think your piano teacher would think of what you just played? Or right. you know, what's, the use of, what's the use of being in this state? Can, they, can you actually make a song which would get you... 20 likes on your social media thing or something <laughs> shit like that <laughs> so. I know. no no i mean that's the other reality of it but i mean that's if you if you connect that to meditation that's exactly the part we need to quiet exactly. down a little bit because that's you know the, the ego that always feels like it needs more or lacks something and you know definitely always lacks attention and, and that's what Instagram and all these social medias uh, trigger in us so well. That's why they're so successful, you know, because we always want more of the engagement and, the, you know, the, the whole feeling of, like, what I do matters and other people mm -hmm. care about it. It's important, you know, we're, we're very human beings, so we're social beings, too. So I, I don't want to say this is bad, and it's Me never neither. the intention of any spiritual practice to to defeat the ego because we live with an ego, and it's has a very uh, good purpose, also evolutionary, um, to you know keep us going as a as a species, you know. But at the same time, we shouldn't identify with it too much. So I guess it's always about the balance of identifying this needy ego that wants the likes or wants the attention or feels like it's not getting enough or whatever, just like noticing that, but also not buying into that too much, you know? So being like, 
yeah, yeah, I see you. You want that? It's it's okay. I'm very glad. You, you know, it's it's like like the way you would deal with a child, maybe you know, because it's a very childish need. All of this, and then <clears throat> that's at the same time that makes it sort of more likable, you know, because a child is like that, and it wants these things, and it, it wants, uh, you know, it's needy, and it, it needs things now and not then, or whatever, you know. So children are like encapsulations of small egos, if you will. But at the same time, they're very endearing, of course. You can't mind them to be the way they are. And that's the way I tend to think about my ego sometimes. I, I try to embrace this a little more mm. rather than um, trying to kill it or whatever, you know, because it's it's there. We're, we're, we're part of a singular manifested being, all of us, you know. So we're also part of something bigger, of course. But the fact that we're singular manifestations, it just comes with an ego and we just got to deal with it, you know. It's just learning how to deal with it is what takes a little time. Time and patience. <laughs> Love it, yeah. Yeah, I'm very glad you say that because there has been a tendency in certain circles to kind of make the ego out to be some devil who's out to get us. That's really not the way it works. Yeah, I agree. Also, ego and uh, ego is also almost like the other side of self-respect. You know, mm -hmm. um, the reason we put in the hours to get good at what we do. Very good point. You know, improve our skills. Uh, improve our craftsmanship. The whole aspect of of self care. There's that. It's super so important as a as an artist also to to cater to your needs, and that's not necessarily mm. ego, egotistical or whatever. You know, sometimes it's just not at all. It allows for the creativity to come through if you take care of yourself, Indeed. also physically. You know. Yes, very much. So. Sometimes taking a pause is the best advice I can give to people who ask me about like workflow and whatever. I'm like, make sure you stand up from your desk regularly and maybe go for a walk. You know, that's, that sounds like a very small advice, but it goes a long way because there's nothing like stagnant energy when you're just like trying to make this idea work, but it's just not quite happening. And then you try harder and you've been sitting there for five hours and you just get frustrated. It's just like, that's not how it's going to go. Get up and revisit it another time. Maybe just exercise or eat some good food or take a bath or whatever. I think that's very important. So true. I'm very, very glad you say that. There's also this whole... Um, are you familiar with the term spiritual bypassing? No, no, I never heard of it. What is it? There is a certain demographic out there who just... Uh, usually very close to that demographic who make the ego out to be the devil. Okay. Who will... Uh, Generally just say, oh, you know, everything's just the ego. It's it's all about just being in the spirit and transcending. Just let everything go, you, you know, lose this. Don't try to control everything. Anything, sorry, excuse me. And uh, so what we're basically doing is bypassing our responsibilities to our human selves or to our planetary selves or just, you know, planet Earth. Right. Now, that's a good point. I mean, there, there's some spiritual teachers that will tell you you are not your body. Um, that might be true in one dimension, you know, but you also, also you are your body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Bingo. So like you can't just Bingo. neglect the fact that you are inside a body and you are a body too. I mean, that's part of your existence. So indeed, um, I guess what this whole um, "you are not your body" um, thing wants to talk about is that you are not only your body. You know that people don't identify with how they look like or whatever, or the fact that they age, you know, and that some, some people get very upset about not looking as good as they used to or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's over-identification with the, with the physical again. And maybe that's where you are not your body um, should be extended to you are not only your body. Very well said. But you are also your body. <laughs> yeah. So that shouldn't be forgotten about. It's our instrument to connect to this dimension. Yes. Deserves due respect. Exactly. Yeah, I'm totally with you, man. I agree. Um, first impressions of LA, Berlin to LA. What was that like? I mean, you already kind of hinted at how the experience was. Yeah, I hinted at it. It was not so much music industry related. It was really just like finding a flow in my life again after the relationship breakup that I had and after all these things where I was like, what do I even do? What do I even want? You know, it was like a restart in many ways. And in a way it was, um, like I said earlier, it was very natural. I just happened to quite naturally meet people that 
I needed to meet at that time, you know, that maybe told me or some things I need to hear or like connected me with other people. So it was very synchronistic in a way, but very subtle also, you know, like I, I didn't come there with mm. a big agenda, like LA, here I come, I'm going to conquer the movie industry or whatever, you know, it was more like, ah, oh, let me just do a road trip and just like drive to the desert and, and, and hang out there for a little bit and look at the stars <laughs> you know that, that was well that is such a refreshing alt alternate narrative to the quintessential la story yes yeah it was very much not that quintessential here i am with the big agents and everything uh, takes off these things happened later though but they also happened sort of gradual and um mm -hmm. natural it was more like I put out a record and the, the lady I hired to promote it knew this guy who was through a festival. He really looked, liked my music. The promotional stuff never really did anything, but I'm glad I hired her mm -hmm. anyways because she put me in touch with that guy who again in turn knew another guy who was an agent for film music, etc. I'm just saying how like around five corners everything <laughs> seems to be connected. And then I ended up signing with a music agent for, for film composing You know, I'm just fast-forwarding now a little bit, but sure. um, these things all happened um, partly because I was looking for them, but also because I didn't try very hard to make them work, you know? It was more like I put this out there to the universe, so to speak, that this is something that interests me, and um, mm -hmm. I sort of leave it up to the universe how that's going to be delivered and if that's going to be delivered at all. Um, and then I just sit back and wait, and I just like work a lot of course it's not supposed to sound like i'm passive i'm just like waiting for things to happen i'm constantly working on my music every day in the studio it's part of my practice like a spiritual practice almost mm -hmm. but the results of it or like how it connects that's something outside of my um, power in a way you know the only thing i can take good care of is like making sure i make the best music that, that i can make at the time also within the capacities that I have mm -hmm. and then and, and the rest is only something that either happens or doesn't happen that's my experience it sounds kind of airy-fairy but I guess not at all yeah okay not I'm at all. Glad. quite the contrary man <laughs> no not at all actually it sounds extremely healthy and very very refreshing cool I think it's exactly the kind of message um, that needs to be talked about more often and spread to fellow artists and musicians. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an advice I can give. It's like really like make sure you're showing up every day to work on your craft and you know also expand that. Exactly. You know, I I'd never worked with a string quartet, let alone an orchestra, before I moved to LA. And all this happened later on. You know, I ended up working with uh, a big uh, conductor and a big um, philharmonic orchestra down the line. Mm. which was something I never envisioned for myself because I was like, I didn't, I didn't study music. I don't know nothing about that. But you just like step by step are eased into it. You know, I, I was uh, staying at this, uh, at the place of my friend Savannah, who became my friend. I wasn't friends with her when I moved there because I didn't know her. <laughs> mm. But I sort of moved in with mm. her and I lived sort of in her studio at the beginning. Nice. Um, which was a nice setup just because it was a, a bed and uh The studio <laughs> all i needed uh, and she had okay. a recording session where she recorded a, a quartet and i just sort of heard it through the walls and i was like what's that what's going on so i just sneaked up played fly on the wall on, on her recording session and i quizzed her afterwards about how that works and because she brought in a recording engineer to, to record the whole thing and i realized it's not something she does all by herself she wrote the music parts but she hired players she hired a recording engineers, I was like, okay, I can tap into that. I can tap into doing things that I never imagined for myself because they're done in a team. You know, you just like have people that help you with that. And um, mm. so I just started imagining different things for myself that I didn't imagine before, you know. That is so inspiring, man. For fellow artists and musicians who are going through a similar phase of transition, mm -hmm. looking to reinvent themselves or, or dealing with feelings of self-doubt and fear in developing their craft, taking risks, mm -hmm. what would your words of advice be? Make sure you, your music can be heard, you know, because you spend so much time with it, uh, making it, and then you sort of release it into the world. It's almost like children. Again, I come with a children analogy, although I don't even have children. <laughs> But that's how I see it, mm. you know. You, you're like in labor, you give birth. It's like this intense process, and then your music is out there. And then, then you still want to kind of take care of it, that it's doing well in the world. And that's just something that's very hard to control, of course, because music 
as children have a life of their own and you can't really control where they go once they're out there. But you can do your best to make sure that, you know, uh, almost like balloons that you put up that can be seen. So like put a little mm -hmm. bit into promotion. I'm not just saying hire a PR agency or whatever because these things change all the time. When blogs were important 10 years ago, now they're completely unimportant and Now it's all about Spotify playlists. So these things change almost every couple of years. Um, but my advice would be just like stay in touch with also making sure your music can be heard and can be found because these are the things that always have worked for me. I release a record on my own. I just invest a little bit of money that can be out there, can be discovered. And then sometimes years later, somebody connects and, and, and wants to license a song for a movie or connects because that was an important record for record for him or her. Maybe you have an interesting conversation or a collaboration. Who knows? It's just like all these synchronistic moments that happen when you take care of the music even after it came out. Yeah, that, that sounds like, a, again, a very, very healthy approach. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. Um, we're into the last 15 minutes. I do want to pick your brain on your current body of work, Foam and Sand. But just one last question, which is kind of related to this. That little story you just told us about being the fly on the wall, watching yeah. your roommate's string quartet um, coming to life. Yeah. Uh, that, that was like something you'd never done before. Exactly. And you were already a very established, well-known artist. What's your motivation or inspiration behind starting, you know, learning a, a completely new skill from scratch? Because I feel like that's a muscle people tend to lose yeah. over the years well, well, while they keep doing the same thing. What's your secret to not losing that muscle? Again, I, I circle back to just like the, the love for the unknown, which eventually like let let me to music you know just like this whole kid that wants to discover something that it doesn't know much about but then it's there's mm -hmm. always fear too you know because you're always like and then we talked about ego that's like oh man you can't do that you 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 didn't train to do that you haven't studied that you know so like your thoughts put you back in your place and make you just hang out in your comfort zone and then just stay put more or less but if you just mm -hmm. don't give into that but explore and give into the curiosity that's also there it's also a need you know that we have to just explore and just like play and dabble in something even if it's not something you're gonna succeed in necessarily but at least you try it out so i guess curiosity is something that always led me to new things that i was genuinely impressed with a session where i played fly on the wall i was like this sounds so beautiful i could already imagine how like a cello and a double bass etc would do really well in, in a song of mine and i just imagined these things so it's like almost like this kind of dreamy child again i, I keep speaking about children a lot today i don't know why and i think that's a, a very healthy approach mm. just like imagine things without the sensor of your logical mind that tells you that that's not for you you know just like let your mind go free and go wild a little bit you know why not record with an orchestra even though it's terrifying <laughs> you know and then mm -hmm. once you entertain these thoughts they become a little less intimidating and um, then you just like find out about the technicalities so what does it take to just like start with a quartet you don't have to start with an orchestra right away but who do you maybe know who plays a violin and uh, you know what I mean it's just like absolutely making it more approachable you know start with something that's doable and then expand from there I think expansion is something that comes to us naturally as humans because we evolve as a species and i mean look at what we've done a lot of terrible things but also we you know we've done a lot of great things and um it always comes from the curiosity to not just sit on our ass and stay where we are but venture out there and find out what else is there you know so tap into this kind of curiosity would be my advice amen to that brother <laughs> cheers man <laughs> foam and sand we're into the last 10 minutes and that like i said i want to mm -hmm. respect your time appreciate that man thanks again for doing this man i've been reading up on some of the processes that you followed for in while making foam and sand mm -hmm. that's like a diagonal opposite to the kind of work you've been doing it's all back to like minimal roots yeah correct me if i'm wrong no you're spot on it's also How do I say this? My last record, The Next Building Years, was very conceptual. I mean, the title, The Next Building Years, it was about the long-term long future of our species on this planet. Mm -hmm. It's all connected to this um, uh, recording, which I found in a second-hand store from a Jacques speech from the 70s, where he talks about the next billion years. And that just made me think, wow, the next billion years. I mean, we think about our own lifetime. We think about maybe the life of our children or grandchildren, but we don't think about time spans like that. So that really inspired me again mm. to 
imagine like a long-term future and also creating a soundtrack for that. And it only seemed appropriate to work with an orchestra for that and make it almost like a soundtrack to an imaginary sci-fi film. Mm -hmm. So it was a very ambitious work. And now Form and Sand is pretty much the opposite because it, it's like zero ambition in any conceptual way. <laughs> it was literally just mm -hmm. me in lockdown in the studio needing to calm down my anxiety, which was, I think, something... We all experienced at the beginning of the pandemic because oh, yeah. nobody knew what the hell was going on. Yeah. So I just needed to sort of soothe and, 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 and pamper my own anxiety. And I just gravitated towards these kind of tape loops, which were like hissy recordings of like my synthesizers recorded onto tapes and old tapes, that is. Mm -hmm. So all these imperfections of an old tape you know when you listen to an old tape like an old full Collins tape if you will yeah. and it's it's kind of like wobbly a little bit and and that's sort of so soothing to me maybe that reminds me of my childhood because i used to listen to a lot of tapes and they just got worn out and, and didn't sound very steady anymore after a while but that's something yeah. that i find really pleasant you know what i mean absolutely completely relate so I wanted to create something that gave me that sensation of like these unsteady, wobbly tape loops that sounded really warm and I could slow down some piano recordings on tape and just experimented a lot, you know. So long story short, Form and Sand is a very intuitive project that's all about um, letting things bubble up and, and see what they are and just like doing some sound design experiments. It's very free, you know, it's, it's not conceptual. It's not very composed. If you listen to the things, they're usually like mm -hmm. under three minutes, so they're more like snapshots. And mm -hmm. the music teacher could probably say, well, that's just one idea you have there. You could probably introduce a new idea here and make a longer arrangement. But I didn't <laughs> even mess with any of that. You know, it was just like, this feels complete. It's just for me. And then only eventually I started feeling like I wanted to share that. You know, I, did, I didn't conceive this project as even being a project. I just made it for myself. And then, I realized it feels really good. Maybe I should share it. And that's why I started an Instagram account, not telling anyone it's me mm. and just leaking these things wow. out. Um, and they just got a life on their own and a following on their own. It's completely uh, independent from Robert Koch. And then I realized, wow. okay, I'm onto something here. Uh, and eventually, after a few singles that I just released under the radar, I decided to let the cat out of the ba bag, so to speak, and... Um, posted on it on social media about it. Hey guys, this is my new ambient project. You know, it it came about last year and during lockdown. And yeah, people people seem to really like it. So I'm I'm happy to sometimes um, nurture that muscle that's just very um, unconceptual and unpredictable in a way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. How long were you incognito? So, I mean, I started pretty much during the first lockdown, which was April last year, I think. That's at least... And were you in LA yeah, yeah, during the time, LA. by the way, um, in Berlin? Okay. And I finished, I made a lot of these circles, I call them. They're just like um, little tracks. Uh, I call them circle because they also loop if you want to. And um, mm. I made, I don't know, like 30 or 40 of them because uh, they're just kind of bubbled out out of me you know i didn't, didn't even <laughs> know where they all came from Beautiful. and then i just released a few of them as singles already in the year 2020 uh, towards the end of 2020 and in the spring of 2021 and then i decided sort of in the summer this year to reveal the project officially is it true you actually used a walkman for the production yeah i did yeah i have an old sony walkman from the 80s which i used to own when i was uh, small and i lost it or it broke and then I found it again on eBay and I bought the same model again. <laughs> and um, wow. yeah, I just bought a lot of old secondhand tapes, you know, that have been recorded on many times. So they have the wobble mm -hmm. and the texture and the hiss. And I just ran it through uh, some, some pedals. I have this guitar pedal, which um, does a nice, nice chorus effect, which also gives it this bendy, tonality is similar to what like boards of canada have been doing you know when it sounds like a vhs tape that's going out of yeah. <laughs> out of pitch a little bit um so just like gravitated towards these kind of sounds and um ran the signal through a different 
effects and re-recorded it back in half speed and these kind of things, you know. Here's a last nerdy question. In an age where plugins and digital pro digital production tools have actually come to a point where you can almost pretty much, I mean, it's obviously a point of debate, but some would say you can't really hear the difference anymore between the digital simulation of the, and the actual hardware being used. Why did you choose to go with the hardware? That's a good question. I think that's true. A lot of the digital stuff sounds very good and I would not be able to tell the difference sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it's just like the, the process of working with things hands-on yeah. just gives you different ideas sometimes that's just what i find you know yeah. because yeah. with a with a plugin you only noodle so much because i mean you can map it all to your um, controller of course and these things are very um, intuitive nowadays mm. but still if you're just like handling with real objects that you put in your hand and you twist knobs and you even like pull out the tape you know what i mean and maybe crumple it up a little bit absolutely and rewind it and just listen back how it sounds now that's just something about the physicality that's that's just fun i think you know and um i don't think it sounds better it's just a little more fun to engage with sometimes also, in, I mean, I think one thing we've always all become acutely aware of since the pandemic is hashtag screen time. Mm, for sure. You know, I mean, I've gone off screen. Good for you, man. All the recording I do now is off screen. I have gone back to hard disk recording. I wish that was true <laughs> for me. I mean, even with Form and Send, I've spent a fair amount of time on the yeah. computer because editing all these little experiments that I did and finding the the good moments you know because a lot of it is improvisation and then oh brother i wish i could say i've gone completely off screen (laughs) i I wish i'm looking forward to a day when that might be reality right at least for the recording part at least i just i have an eight track recorder yeah and i record my first uh, solo piano album like it's all improvised beautiful man also under lockdown there you go finally started having a listen to it and it was just i just couldn't take screens anymore after 90 Zoom calls a day and whatever. I was like, okay. Oh my God. Yeah, I totally feel you. I know, right? And I do want to listen to that record. If you feel ready to share it, please send it along. Oh, fuck yeah. I would love to. I mean, I would cool. be honored. Uh, absolutely. I'll send you a link. Mm-hmm. Where's the best way to find you online? Where Where would you like to direct our listeners to? Um, I'm not really on Facebook anymore. So I would say Instagram. Good move. Yeah. Just like because yeah. that's that's where I hang out more. Because Facebook seems okay. kind of dead. It's weird because mm-hmm. I have like way more followers on Facebook than I do on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But it seems dead still. Even if I post something on Facebook, it's like crickets, you know? <laughs> I know. So I it's, I don't know if anyone is still even using it. I mean, when you say that, I don't even want to tell you what's going on with mine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, uh, FYI, we'll have all your links, by the way, uh, on the episode notes. Uh, so please make sure for my listeners that you go check them out. It's been an absolute pleasure, man, for reconnecting with you. Thanks so much for doing this. Likewise. And uh, I sincerely hope that the next time we touch base is not almost a decade. Yeah, let's make that a little shorter in, in real life too, not just over yes, the Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I, I love that. FYI, yeah. before we taper off, though, you should know that that encounter we'd had, like the the hang I got to have with you during that little tour, yeah, that had a deep impact on my overall approach towards music. I just, I really hit the shed, analyzed your approaches to music. I remember mailing you too, like trying to pick your brain. I still don't know how you make your production sound so big with so little. <laughs> it is the mark of a master, and we all know that by now. Oh man, it's just, it's it's not rocket science. It's just um, keeping at it, and you know, I was I was a terrible mixer. I was always um, in need for people to mix my songs and in need for people to help me with anything. I felt like I couldn't do anything myself, and it's just like learning by doing. Just watching these people that helped me, that I paid to mix my songs, watch over their shoulder what they use, and I told you before, I was not educated in any way formally. I, I, I was. Just a music fan that just learns by doing it and just keeps at it. So that's something that's available to everyone, I think. I gotta say, I've noticed a pattern. My favorite musicians, and I include you on this, are the ones who've been exempt from that whole institutionalized education thing. Interesting. I think it's... Yeah, at least I mean I can only speak for myself. Yeah, needless to say, I'm not I'm not anti music education or anything. No, no, no. But it's a good point you're making because also my friend Savannah, who's the one that I observed doing the string recordings, mm-hmm. and who I collaborated with many times after that, she's from a music conservatory, and um, I can see how that 
of course, made her a masterous violinist, but at the same time, how it, I'm not going to say constricts her thoughts about music, but she has to free herself from a lot of the conditioning she went oh, through in the conservatory. And she, she talks about that too. So, oh, um, yeah. I feel like that's, that's true for many people who go through um, formal education and they sort of have to re discover their love for music Indeed. after all the rigid <laughs> formulas that have been applied, you know? Yeah. Our last guest on this show was a lady called uh, Vivian Ertz, uh, a singer who used to be a clinical psychologist and then went, uh, got a Fulbright scholarship and went to Berkeley and did that and is now uh, kind of um, assistant for the Effortless Mastery Institute with Kenny Werner. I uh -huh. don't know if you know, if, uh, if you heard of him, uh, the, the book Effortless Mastery. It's, it's been a game changer for a lot of injured musicians injured by the system so to speak okay and, uh, yeah that's uh yeah that that conversation was also testimony to the baggage uh, we kind of stand risk to strange right. note to end on very strange note to end on but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no it's just it's just one other interesting observation of indeed, many. indeed we could go on forever <laughs> we could go on forever and i remember we were having the five hour long conversations with you while being i know you. and that was so enjoyable i mean let, let next time we just just uh link in person and we just uh have some coffee or tea or whatever and you know have some time and explore all of this a little more in depth <laughs> I'm done you got a deal brother on that note <laughs> gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out this is a labor of love one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating and having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect much love and talk soon. Just another voice out in the crowd.